Welcome to an inspirational Sunday message from Found Church. We hope you will be challenged and encouraged while listening to this message. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our church website, foundchurch.co.uk, or you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I mean, so if you've got a Bible handy, or your phone, or your iPad, whatever, turn with me to John chapter 14. And I want to read the first six verses from John 14. It should also be up on the screen. So verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Then Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Amen. And I want to continue our series that we've been looking at this year in the upper room with Jesus. And the title of my message today is simply this, that Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only way. And if you look at the the culture today, look at the world today, the whole idea that Jesus is the only way is offensive to many people. Culture implies that that somehow we should unite in a single kind of brotherhood or sisterhood, that we should celebrate our differences, particularly religious ones. They don't understand why people argue over who's right and who's wrong. And this call to coexist as a a reaction to the exclusive truth the exclusive truth claims of Christianity, of religion, but especially Christianity. In fact, its exclusiveness is often the most offensive part of Christianity today. Repent, believe, come to Jesus, he's the only way. These are phrases that are easily associated with Christianity. But then questions arise, things like, what should we do with Christianity's exclusiveness in a 21st century cosmopolitan society? Isn't claiming that Jesus is the only way, is that not intolerant of other faiths? Don't those Christians know all religions are equally valid paths to heaven? They shouldn't force their beliefs on others. Claiming Jesus is the only way is exclusive. Even though it's offensive, I believe Jesus really is the only way to God. And when I speak to people and I come up against three most, the three most common objections that I come up against to people, from people about why Jesus is the only way. And I want to look at these three common objections because sometimes as Christians, we get a bit scared and we think that we don't have the answers to answer people back, to, to give them a reason why we believe that Jesus is the only way. And we shy away a little bit and we think because the other, the other people are so bold and confident in their claims and we tend to shy away, but we don't have to shy away. No. It's so easy to, to rebuke and come against these three claims. And the first claim people come up with all the time is tolerance. See, when we claim Jesus is the only way, you often hear some variation of, that is so intolerant, so intolerant. And in doing so, they reject the claim that Jesus is the only way. And often implied is a demand that Christians tolerate others' beliefs or take back what they've just said when they said that Jesus is the only way. And let me tell you, it's worth pointing out that claiming Christianity to be intolerant is in self, itself an intolerant claim. 
And what's usually meant by tolerance these days is including beliefs that include all others. And this position generally rejects Jesus as the only way because diversity and equality are now celebrated as the highest values in society. Tolerance celebrates differences of religion and equality of opportunity to practice them. To claim Jesus as the only way squelches both equality and diversity by claiming that only one religion is right. And since squelching diversity and equality are socially unacceptable, the exclusivity of Jesus isn't tolerated. But let me tell you, truth and tolerance are actually linked. In fact, tolerance relies upon truth. In the book, The Truth About Tolerance, the author David Couchman says this, and let me quote from the book. He says, if there is no real truth, there is no reason for me to be tolerant. Without some kind of beliefs which cause me to value you as a person, even though I disagree with you, why should I be tolerant towards you? For tolerance to exist at all, it replies upon a framework of truth that resonates with how intolerance contradicts itself. But the rabbit hole goes even deeper. Truth also relies upon tolerance. It is also the case that truth as a reflective goal for individuals and communities, it needs a context of right-minded toleration to flourish in. Without tolerance, truth likewise becomes a hammer of oppression. We find then that truth and tolerance go hand in hand. Nevertheless, tolerance is a hammer of choice and culture today. See, too often, suppression of Christians sharing the truth that Jesus is the only way of salvation is justified in the name of tolerance. Can I encourage you, church, don't be taken captive by this distortion. Genuine tolerance acknowledges all positions, even those that are exclusive. And a biblical worldview holds only one truth, that Jesus is the only path to heaven, whilst at the same time maintaining respect and dignity for those people and love for those people who disagree. Let me tell you, that is genuine tolerance. That's genuine tolerance. Maintaining that biblical worldview of one truth, that Jesus is the only path to heaven, but at the same time, maintaining our respect and dignity and love for those people who disagree. That is genuine tolerance. Secondly, people will claim that absolutes don't exist. The objection says something like this. Christians can't claim that Jesus is the only way because there is no absolutes. What Christians claim is an absolute truth, and there are simply no absolute truths. And their justification goes maybe something like this. We know from study, from reason, from the postmodern era, that society has moved beyond absolutes. There is no absolute truth. There is no overarching idea of truth which can transcend culture, nation, or time. Truth is a construct created by each man, each culture, and bound by the the structures of the time in which it was created. And this objection shares a similar weakness to the tolerance objection. See, denying absolutes is self-defeating. It contradicts itself. If you were to ask the objector, you, if they really believed what they were saying was true, you could say something like this, you believe that no absolute truth exists, right? And then you can simply say, are you absolutely sure of that? So you're saying that there's no absolute truth, but you're absolutely sure that that's an absolute truth? They would have to agree. That's what the position holds. Therefore, it contradicts their claim. 
And this, this objection often comes out of the postmodern school of thought, which says there's no such thing as objective truth. So, for example, they would say things like, it, it says uh, 2 plus 2 always equals 4. They would say that is wrong now, because there's no such thing as absolute truth. And postmodern thought also denies the meaningfulness of history, along with the ability to interpret literature in a unified and meaningful way. And the unfortunate consequence that we're left with is that we're left with a bleak reality, stripped of purpose, stripped of meaning, which for me is not very appealing in the slightest. Without truth, meaning, history, or purpose, what is the point of life? The great irony of it all is that postmodern thought arrives at its conclusions by way of reason. And then it concludes that reason isn't true, and it holds it in contempt. So there's a healthy dose of despair that frequently accompanies adherence to postmodern thought. But that's a lie to which I don't want you to be taken captive. Jesus is really the only way. He's the only way to find peace in a wrecked world. He, he has meaning for a confused life. He leads us home to heaven out of a world where we don't belong. The remedy to that despair is Jesus. Despair at the failure of reason to improve mankind is the sad but ultimate end of every single God which takes the rightful place of the only one true God, and that is Jesus Christ. The truth is, all gods fail, disappoint, and leave us desperate. The only one who is faithful is Jesus. But we won't find that satisfaction until we rest assured, or we are rest assured on the truth that Jesus is really the only way. And then the third objection that I frequently come up against that people say is pluralism. And what they mean by that is it's, it's the belief that, that any v- variety of beliefs and values are all equally true and valid. When we claim Jesus is the only way, some calmly object. See, pluralists tend to be a little bit more laid back in their arguments. Typically, they affirm my right to follow Jesus. They might even celebrate it. But they cl- cl- calmly share their belief that all religions are right. They all lead to God. And often they cite the Eastern proverb that there are many paths to the top of the mountain. And firstly, the first thing I would say about pluralism, though, is that it's intellectually lazy. It's intellectually lazy. It doesn't take seriously the law of non-contradiction. And that this law says that two opposite things cannot both be true at the same time and in the same way. See, when a Christian claims that the path is exclusive, that Jesus is the only way, the pluralist person might think, that's nice, but actually, I know that all religions lead to heaven. They don't accept that the Christian's position is true. They say they believe Christianity is true, whilst at the same time, denying its central tenet, which is, which is that Jesus is the only way. But this response is not unique to Christianity from people who are pluralists. See, a conservative Jew who is here about his faith won't say that any path leads to heaven, Neither will a Sunni Muslim. They will not say that any path leads to heaven. Pluralism attempts to make peace when there is none and only succeeds in agreeing with no one. See, second, Christians who hold to this exclusiveness are sometimes falsely accused of pushing their beliefs on other people. In condemning the exclusive claims of Christianity, the pluralist start to impose their beliefs on the Christian. And therefore, it contradicts again its very intended purpose. So they tell you that you're wrong, but actually there's loads of ways. So they're contradicting themselves each and every single time. And all of these three 
objections that are really common and people speak them with so much boldness and so much truth and so much confidence actually always contradict themselves. And with proper thought, and it's easy to dismantle the claims that these people make. Really simple to dismantle these claims. So don't be scared. Don't worry about people coming and they seem to be so sure. It's so easy to debate with them and so easy to come back to them. But as Christians, though, we must always accept and honour people, even if they don't agree with us. This is how we alleviate fear, demonstrating acceptance for those with whom we disagree. And by the way, this is the true meaning of tolerance. Jesus is the only way. That is the most exclusive message. Why? Because there is only one way. So therefore, it's exclusive. But at the same time, it's also the most inclusive message ever. Why? Because no one is excluded. Everyone is welcome to follow Jesus and find a way to eternal life in heaven. So it might be exclusive, but it's also the most inclusive message you'll ever hear in your life. Acts chapter 16 verse 30 says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? This is the jailer speaking to Paul. And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. See, the, the, the apostle Paul was asked here by the Philippian jailkeeper, what must I do to be saved? And Paul's immediate response was to urge the jailer to believe in the Lord Jesus and he would be saved. He would go to heaven. Today, as it, as it was then, that is the one correct explanation of how to be saved. And I believe that there are people all around us, much like that jailer, who are wondering how to get saved and wondering how to get to heaven. And the simple answer is eternally the same faith in Jesus, the Savior who died for our sins and rose again to save all who come to him in, a pen, a, 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 in repentance and in faith. Just like Dave said during communion. That is the, the eternal answer. The answer never ever changes. And as our scripture for today in John 14 verse 6, Jesus himself makes it clear. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The way, the truth, the life. Not our way, not one of many ways to find in God, but the way, which is singular. Yeah. In one brief sentence, Jesus is a way to go to heaven and the way to God's presence. I am the way to the Father, said Jesus, and we are free to choose. Yeah. We can dismiss Jesus' statement, but when we dismiss it, it has eternal significance. Jesus is the only way to heaven and the presence of God, the Father. Or we can we, we can choose to accept Jesus as declaring an all-important truth that he and he alone is the pathway for men and women to come to God. See, Jesus did not allow for other avenues to salvation. He plainly said that no one comes to the Father except through me. Paul did not offer or suggest multiple roads to God. He made it clear that Jesus Christ is the only pathway to salvation. And the Apostle Peter joined Jesus and the Apostle Paul in declaring that the one and only way to salvation. And we read in Acts chapter 4 at verse 10. Peter said, Then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. See, Peter's words are really clear here. 
clear about God's determined plan of salvation. Salvation is found in no one else. Not in good works, not in good intentions, not in trying hard. And sadly, many millions and millions of people have fallen for the error that says our good works will surely earn us a place in heaven. But the Bible, though, clearly indicates that God's great salvation is by his grace, not by our good works. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from ourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And likewise, Peter asserted that no other living being, past, present, or future, could lead us to God and to salvation. He said there's no other name other than Jesus' name by which we must be saved. See, great men, biblical men like Abraham, Moses, and Paul, and Peter, they cannot save us. The heroes of other religions, people like Buddha, Muhammad, Joseph Smith, Charles Taze, Russell, etc., etc., definitely cannot save us. Only Jesus, only Jesus, the Son of God, can save us and bring us back to Father God. Only Jesus can truthfully say, I am the way. And I want to have a quick look at some of the, the main New Testament characters and what they said about our main theme, that Jesus is the only way to ex- eternal salvation. Firstly, what did the, the Apostle Paul say? He said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 17, he said, He came and preached peace to you who are far away, and peace to those who are near. For through him, Jesus, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. See, Paul is stating succinctly here that it is through Jesus that both Jew and Gentile, that's us, non-Jewish people, have access to the Father. Jesus came from God the Father in heaven down to earth. Now it is through Jesus and his death, burial and resurrection, that we have access to God the Father in heaven. The question of how to get to heaven and the presence of God is now eternally answered, Jesus. His crucifixion and resurrection secured our salvation. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians at chapter 2, verse 1, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. See, the book of Acts relates to the story of the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, now known as Paul the Apostle. And this persecutor of the early church had failed to find his salvation in the strict adherence that he had to Judaism. Then he found salvation, eternal life, and peace with God through his new faith in Jesus. And afterwards, Paul had one dominant message, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul preached Jesus Christ as Savior. Jesus, who had died for our sin, was buried and rose again on that third day. Then he said, that he said, sorry, was the gospel, the good news. To offer any other salvation or any other way of salvation, let me tell you, that is bad news. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. See, too many people in the world try and lay some other foundation, for example, for salvation, sorry, for example, doing good works, living a decent, honorable life, going to church, etc., etc. And these are definitely good things to do, but they are never the foundation for our salvation. No one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus. Jesus and Jesus alone is the only foundation for our salvation. He, is a, he alone is the rock upon which we can take our eternal stand. As the song says, all other ground is sinking sand. 
And then we think about John and the, what he says about Jesus. And we read John chapter 3, verse 16, the most well-known Bible verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16 is one of the most famous Bible verses. It promises eternal life to those who come to him in faith. But then when you read a little bit further in John 3, and you get to verse 18, then you get to verse 36, and we don't like to put these on posters or on the back of your cars. We don't like to quote these verses as much. Verse 18 says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. doesn't sound quite so nice as verse 16. And we don't always mention it. But it's saying to reject Jesus is to incur God's condemnation. And in verse 36, it goes on, and John writes that eternal life is mentioned here again as a reward for those who come to faith in Jesus. But we also read the warning in verse 36. Whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. See, it's a fatal decision to reject God's only provision for salvation that's found in Jesus. In John chapter 6, verse 66, we read this. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. See, at this time... Some of Jesus' disciples were leaving him. Peter spoke words of wisdom for all generations. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter knew that there was no other source, no other words, no other avenue that led to salvation than the words that Jesus, the words of truth that Jesus spoke about himself and God the Father. And then we read in John chapter 8, verse 23, but he, Jesus, continued... You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you, if you did, do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. See, in contrast to all other men, including his own apostles, Jesus asserted, I am from above. His origin, his rightful place, and his current place of enthronement is in heaven itself. That being said, though, Jesus warned his hearers, hearers that if they did not believe in him and in his words, that they would die in their sins. Again, he's making a clear, unequivocal statement that it was through him and him alone that we would be saved from our sins. And Romans 3.23 reminds us that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But what's the remedy? What redemptive plan of salvation has God provided for that? Only one. Only one. We have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, and his name is Jesus. 1 John 4, 14 says, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Let me tell you, church, all roads do not lead to God. It is God, not man, who has the right to determine how we will have our relationship established with him. He has determined that his son Jesus will be that divine provision for our salvation. The Father has sent his son to be the salvation of the world. And as the band come, I mean, can you wrap this message up a little bit? See, in closing, let's have a look at some scripture from the book of Hebrews. 
Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9 says this. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Why is Jesus the only way to God? Because it's uniquely Jesus, God's Son, who was chosen by God to taste death for each and every single person. And as Paul wrote, it is good news or the gospel that Jesus died for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. We serve a crucified and risen Savior, the only one God has ever appointed to such a glorious task. In Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 it says, Just as man is destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. See, this same risen, crucified, sorry, this same crucified, risen, exalted, and only Savior Jesus will appear for a second time to bring salvation to all those who are waiting for him. Are you waiting for him as Savior? Or have you fallen for that eternally fatal deception that says all roads lead to God? Or that lie that says, I'm a good person. I'm going to heaven. Let me tell you, Jesus is waiting. Warmly, graciously and openly for you today to come to him and him alone for salvation. Believe in him as the the, the crucified and risen son of God. And experience as you do him welcoming you into his family of God and into the sure hope of spending an incredibly glorious an indescribable future for eternity with him and with God the Father. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been challenged and inspired. Please feel free to contact us through our website, foundchurch.co.uk or you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.